As the war in Ukraine enters its third year following Russia's full-scale invasion, the Ukrainian president has said that 31,000 of his country's soldiers have been killed in the war since 2022. Speaking at a news conference, Volodymyr Zelensky made a rare admission of the scale of the military and civilian losses suffered at the hands of the Russian invaders. 31,000 Ukrainian troops have been killed in this war, 31,000 Ukrainians, which hurts us a lot. But I cannot say how many wounded we have because Russia will know how many people we have left on the battlefield. I just cannot say. Tens of thousands of civilians have died in the occupied territories. We know about tens of thousands. But I don't know how many of them died, how many were killed, how many were murdered, tortured, how many were deported. Well, the BBC's correspondent in Ukraine is James Waterhouse, and he joins us now. James, thank you so much for taking our call. You've been there from the very start of this war. People must be exhausted. Are they now at the point where they're less convinced that they'll win this war? They just don't want to lose it? I think that's probably fair. I think the question of can you win this, and for, for Ukraine officially, winning means repelling Russia completely and restoring its borders of, of pre-2014 when, when Vladimir Putin first annexed Crimea. That press conference where you heard President Zelensky, compared with last year when it was talk of a, an upcoming counter-offensive and Ukraine had retaken swathes of territory, this year, I mean, it was nine hours long for a start, 28 ministers spoke throughout the day with President Zelensky being the headline act, and the talk was about long-term security guarantees, recovery, strain on the health care. A bit of ammunition was discussed, domestic manufacturing of drones, but this was not a conference about Ukraine uh, trying to win. It was a conference about the, the peace terms Ukraine would accept. And that figure that President Zelensky gave, it will almost certainly be much higher when you look at the scale of mobilization by both sides and, and, and the men that, that have been thrown into the fight. At, to date, so when you say exhaustion, I think that's probably the overarching emotion that that you come across when you when you when you travel across Ukraine. How angry are they though with the United States for failing to deliver the weaponry that is needed on the battlefield right now? They were careful with their language yesterday, um, but it's clear. I mean, there was another press conference, death by press conferences this weekend, such as the occasion. But they they hosted George Maloney of Italy, Justin Trudeau of Canada. Uh, what Ukraine is doing, what Europe is doing as a continent is is trying to fill a potential gap left by the US should it further withdraw support and should, say, a Donald Trump presidency um, take that even further. You really get a sense that Ukraine is trying to build relationships elsewhere. But Zelensky's chief of staff was asked about that. Are you afraid of a Trump administration once more? And he said, no, you know, we're not afraid of anything. We're in contact with them. And you shouldn't compare words Words like, I'll end the Ukraine war in a day, uh, and the praise that Donald Trump has given for Vladimir Putin. He said, you can't compare words in an election campaign with action. So they are optimistic that, that a diplomatic outcome can arrive. But ever since before the full-scale invasion, when he spoke to Ukrainians, it's never been an issue of what has arrived, because President Zelensky's asked, he's eventually got it, and it's substantial. But it's the speed. And when you're up against a Russian foe, which can keep its economy on a war footing and throw more into it in a war of attrition, size matters for more. And that is benefiting Russia. You mentioned there President Zelensky talking about peace terms and he's talking about 
proposed peace talks in Switzerland, maybe even Russia attending. But do his same red lines apply as they did uh, previous to now, that full Ukrainian sovereignty must be restored? They do. Officially, that is that is what he is saying publicly. There is a difficult reality for him on the battlefield at the moment where Russia has shown in 2023 that it can't just keep um, it can't just take Ukrainian territory but it can keep hold of it and in the months where Ukraine talked up its counteroffensive and Zelensky said yesterday that the Kremlin knew about the counteroffensive um, before it was launched I mean it was a, I'm not quite sure what he meant by that but when you're the side trying to attack when you're the side trying to liberate territory Generals often describe a three-to-one ratio. You, you need more, uh, three times more men and machinery to try and push through. And at the moment, we are seeing a Ukrainian military hanging on. The goal now is not losing. So you wonder, what would a, a term, you know, terms for peace be now? Would it be security guarantees like joining NATO for the concession of territory? I, I, I meet very few people that could that could. You know, reconcile that very idea. But the longer this goes on, the longer the loss of life endures with little military progress on the battlefield, then the calls for some kind of compromise will only get louder. And that puts Ukraine in a very difficult position. Why? Because they say Russia will just push again two, three, five, seven years time for the whole of Ukraine once more when the world turns its gaze elsewhere. And back to the people and those places, James, which over the past two years became bywords for horror, places like Bucha, Irpin, Mariupol. What are those places like now? Well, it really does depend on where you are. I mean, when you go to Bucha, um, this was, uh, this is a, you know, an, an affluent commuter town out 40 minutes outside of Kiev. And on that day, two years ago, the Russian army forced in that direction by the destruction of the Irpin Bridge arrived and they committed war crimes. They, uh, you know, the evidence, overwhelming evidence suggests that they murdered civilians in the street uh, and they, um, you know, put them in mass graves. It's when you go there now, there are memorials and what always amazes you is the speed of recovery. But Mariupol, the Russian occupiers are trying to portray it as somewhere that has been regenerated. They have built some new flats in some areas, but this was a city laid to siege where it was flattened almost, where people were drinking radiator water to to stay alive. And now they are trying to sort of paint the picture of it being an opportunity for property investment. And so the other caveat with occupied areas is that we don't really know what it is like. We speak to people, they talk about oppression by security forces, um, but you know, in Kharkiv now, there's a saying in the northeast. There's a saying you hear explosions first and sirens second. Um, you know, the, the Grad missiles are frequently launched into the city from across the Russian border or from occupied territories. It really does depend on where you are. There is a war zone within a country when you're talking about the front line. Mm. But ultimately, this is a conflict which touches everything and everyone. James, thank you so much for joining us on Morning Ireland. James Waterhouse, the BBC's correspondent in Ukraine as that country enters its third year of war with Russia.